Amen. Hello, good morning. Great day today to enjoy the awesome weather. We are going to continue looking at the book of Romans, and uh, I love this part of the Romans, the book of Romans. I think at least uh, I'm not alone in saying that this is the good news. This is the gospel for the believer. And uh, up till now, you've heard Ben and Nick and some people sh- talk about uh, what God did, where we were, how we were tied with Adam, and how we could come to faith and let the living God uh, embrace us and that we'd receive what he had to offer. And uh, so today we are going to pick up here, and I'm going to do something I normally do not do from the pulpit. I, I study the scriptures this way alone, but I, I think it's imperative that you and I walk together. We're going to take Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. And so have your uh, tablets open, your Bible open. I told Ben earlier, I said eventually he's just going to be saying tablets, but I, I love the ruffling of the pages. I still do. So, uh, But we are going to go verse by verse. We're going to kind of open it up, dissect it, because I think it is absolutely imperative that you and I grasp the importance of what we're about to look at. Uh, my life, if I was to go back and say uh, there were three pivotal things in my life that, that drastically changed my life uh, to the point in my faith. Uh, the first was uh, in 1970 when David Wilkinson came to town and he suggested or at least said that somehow you could know the living God by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and that night I did so. Uh, I literally was heading in this direction. I got knocked off with heading in this direction. I became uh, so excited. I wanted everybody in the world to, to have this, and so not only was I excited, I think I bruised everybody along the way with religion. I knew no different. And then later on in 1978, God lifted a veil and began to show me a deeper part of the gospel, the whole gospel of, of grace and not living under law. That radically uh, changed the way that I looked at life, I looked at people, and I looked at my own life and realized this was a God of grace, not only for my birth, my new birth, but it was a God of grace for how I live life. And then there was another truth that came, and I would say probably the most significant truth of my life uh, the apex of everything I believed in that changed the way that I would live life was what we're going to talk about today. And I believe that it transformed at least the direction that my life would take, how I would live each day. Not that I'd at all do it perfectly. I noticed my wife was out on the deck. She would let you know that. My kids are out there as well. They'd let you know that. My friends are all in here. They'd let you know that. Some of you that don't know me, you don't know. Okay, so, but what we're going to do is we're going to take that. But before I do, I do want to do some visual things today that will help cement this. And so I'm going to have you follow me. In order for us to pick up on Romans chapter 6, verse 1, you will see it's a real continual thought of Romans chapter 5 and the conclusion of what Ben talked about last week. And so what I'd like you to do is I want you to picture where I'm standing. We're going to be on an apex line here, and this is zero. To my right, which is your left, is going to be the negative part, the negative uh, aspects of your life. Over here will be the positive 
that which we call good and that's what we call uh, plentiful. So when we start here at zero and we sin, we, we go to minus one. And the Bible says that when we sin, grace abounds all the more. So we go to zero, we go to plus one. And then I choose foolishly to sin again, I go back to zero, grace abounds all the more, I go to one, I go to two. And then the last part in Romans 5 says, and I sin and grace many times multiplies and advances me to three, to four, to five. I'm plus five right now. How did I get here? By sinning. By sinning, I got here. Now you ought to be, which I can tell by your eyes, asking some really hard questions. You've got to realize that this is what the, the atmosphere of Paul's writing, he was sharing something that was that drastic that you ought to be, whoa, you're kidding me, sinning and so that I can get over here. He said, if you're not asking the question, you did not hear what I said. You did not hear what I wrote. Okay. So with that in mind, let's pick up on verse 1 of Romans 6. Well, what shall we say then? In light of what we just walked through, are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? You see, that's the question. He was going to answer the question before they asked it because they should be asking the question. If they did not understand what he's about to unfold, what he's about to bring to light, if they do not understand that, they have to be asking that question. This translation in verse 2 is a very weak translation in terms of the magnitude. It says, may it never be. The word really means that's preposterous to even think such a thought. That's ridiculous thought in light of where we're going. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that of all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So let's pause right here and let's take a look at this baptized. You, you and I sometimes we look at the baptism that we do down at the creek. Here he's basically giving you a overall statement that if you are baptized in Christ Jesus, the, the word there literally means change identity to. I was this and I now become this. There's something that was looking this way and a total transformation that my change of identity, when they used to take a white cloth and dip it in red paint, it changed the identity of it. It was no longer white, it was red. It changed. And so therefore it says, if you have been baptized into Christ's death. I want you to grasp this. Jesus is absolutely eternal. He is not blocked to time. One day is a thousand years unto him, and a thousand years is one day. He's not limited by our little wristwatches. And he is saying, now therefore, if you have received Jesus Christ, those of you that have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you were baptized, you were brought into one with him. And it says this, starts through this, you were baptized into his death. Meaning that that night 2,000 some years ago when he hung on that cross, you and I hung on that cross. 
In Jesus' eyes, that's what happened. In truth, that's what happened. I'm identified with his death. And then it says, goes on to say this, that may it never be, how, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through this baptism into death. Hold there. So, you were identified with his death. Something or someone died that night in you. And it says you were baptized in his burial. Something of you was buried, buried, put to death, covered up, completely gone. Why? The next part of this verse says, in order that you were dead, you were buried, in order that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Listen to this. Back in the book of Ezekiel, 597 B.C., that's a long time ago, a prophet proclaimed something back then, and he was giving prophecy to this, what we're about to talk to today. The prophecy was so staggering, it says in the Psalms, the angels looked at it. They were absolutely blown away. They could not believe what was about to happen. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, and I will remove that heart of stone from the flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit now within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe all of these ordinances. And so therefore, what he's saying is I am going to do something brand new. Today, you're going to find out what that was that was fulfilled in your life. I think as I read some of the old authors and, and I go back to Augustine and Augustine and Murray and different people and I read, they say they feel, they believe in their time, and I believe the same in my time, this is the best kept secret in the church today, what we're going to talk about. I think it is something that it was a mystery. The word mystery in the Bible in Colossians says it's to Take the lid off of something so that you can see the full effect. And when in Colossians it says they took the, the lid off this mystery, the angels were blown back. They could not comprehend what they were about to see. And he says, I wanted you to recognize you're dead. You've been crucified. So therefore, consider yourself dead. That means count it as true. It's done. It's done. That part of you that was against God that Adam left you with was crucified and put to death. We're going to see why that is so important imperative that you and I grasp that. In order that we might now join in this union in his life and his resurrection. I'm going to show you how profound this is. This is something that I think if you begin to grasp it, it will change the way you live life. It'll definitely uh, affect what we're going to read later on, how you can have master over sin. But I think you have to grasp it. You have to wrap your mind around it. 
and it is amazing. Julie, I'm going to pick on you today. Now, she's getting nervous already because I'm walking towards her. And I don't know if you guys know the feeling of this, but when somebody gets in your space, you kind of back off. You want them to back off. But as I start walking closer to her, she's probably okay now. She knows me. But the closer I get to her, she's getting a little bit more nervous. What's she going to do? And when that face gets right down, all of a sudden you're feeling a little nervous. And all of a sudden this is kind of the feeling that sometimes we get. But I want you to realize this. Put yourself with her right now in this, in this illustration. What if I went like this and absolutely all of a sudden my body just absorbed inside her body and now you can hear me inside your head? Is that a little freaky? Yeah, it's, it's freaky yeah, for you, yeah, especially for Donovan. <laughs> and you hear those voices in there, and you hear me in there thinking, ah, you would absolutely be going crazy. Folks, this is actually what happened to you and me. This God of the universe the angel said, we saw this mighty God lay out the expanse of the heavens, the galaxies he formed, he spoke into existence, the all-powerful one, the awesome one, and he is going to live inside man. The angel said, this blows my mind. How man like us can contain this God inside. I had a gal the other day, I, I just, in my mind, God put her in my mind, and I hadn't seen this person for a long time, and I called just to see how she was doing. She said, this is blowing my mind that you called me after years. said, I heard that you had talked about this mystery of Christ in you and all this kind of stuff and, and, and being united with Christ. And just a few minutes ago, I read, and what I read on here literally opened my eyes to something, and it lifted the veil off my eyes to realize that when I said, you said to me years ago, Christ is not just somebody that walks with you and he's right out here and he's close to you and you carry him with you and he goes to work with you. He literally lives inside you. She said, I grasped that and then you called right then. She said, I have never been so giddy in my life and I can tell you that in my life, this is the third thing that transformed my life, is this union with Christ. And we're going to see it deeper. An illustration I was going to share with you uh, from a movie. I was going to share with you from a movie called The Body Snatchers, but only the old would remember the Moody. So we're going to Men in Black. Anybody seen Men in Black? I think I've got at least a generation that has heard that with Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Will Smith. And remember, they were assigned as agents, and their, their, their whole job was this. There were aliens that were coming down, and they were inhabiting human beings. And they'd get in them, and you'd see their bodies distortion all over, and their eyeballs going. And pretty soon, they'd come back to normal, and they'd look just like that human did before, but now was inhabited by an alien. And their job as uh, protectors of Earth was to make sure that none of these guys could cross the border without proper papers. So what they did is they went and looked for them, and they had little signs. Every once in a while, there'd be a little glitch, a little sign. Okay. And they would go ahead, and their job was to arrest them and to send them back to where they belonged if they didn't have the right papers. 
Now this is a weak illustration for what we got. It isn't an alien coming down, but it is truly an alien because it says he no longer belongs to this world. And Jesus Christ came and he inhabited and snatched your body because the old was put to death so that you could be raised up in the newness of life, having Christ as your life. Colossians says, this is the mystery of the gospel. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Stop for just a minute. I know this is way up here. If you can begin to wrap your mind around it and journey in this, you're going to see an incredible expression of the very life of God. He lives in here. Just like my voice, if I was talking inside your head, he is doing that. And he doesn't sound like something weird and scary. He has set us free from the penalty of fear. He lives in us. He inhabits our very being. I want you to grasp that for just a second. It says in here then, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in this newness of life. Now, I'm not getting into a bunch of Greek stuff here, but when it talks about you died, and it talks about you were buried, and it talks about you were crucified, this is what is referred to as past tense. It means it was one simple action that happened in one particular time. It's done. It's not something that keeps going on. It happened once. It's past. And then we're going to go into the future, and we're going to talk about the present. And the present, I'm not sure how much you went into a bit on this, but this process of sanctification is letting this very truth of Christ being my life and living it out to express the very uh, person of Jesus Christ is the process of sanctification. It's what we are moving towards. I'm becoming a better lover. I'm becoming a better uh, uh, fruits of the Spirit pouring out onto people. I'm being sanctified. I'm living out that. You've heard us here over and over talk about forgiveness, realizing, do you know that when you were forgiven, it was once and for all concluded, all your sins, past, present, future? But in order for you to appreciate, in order for you to experience the forgiveness that has been given to you, there's a daily reminder of confession. And confession is simply agreeing with God I was forgiven. I was done. So I might now enter into experiencing that forgiveness. It's the same here. When I acknowledge that God, I was dead. I was crucified. By the way, the old man is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Three times. The old man. You, the old man. He was crucified. He was buried. And consider him dead. That sounds pretty final. Consider him dead done with. Why is that important? So that you can see now who inhabits you and this new spirit that was prophesied by Ezekiel, living God, would live in you and now you and him would be united together as one. And now the relationship was what the purpose of you being on this planet was to have a union with him so that now we can live with him, fellowship with him, and reflect him to other people. That was the purpose. That's why he came that we might be one with him. 
Does this make a little bit of sense now why Jesus, when you read the stories of Jesus and when he talks to the people in the Gospels and he says that basically although he existed uh, as God in the form of God, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied it and he basically surrendered that so that he might take on the form of man so that you and I might know what it's like to live normal life. He did not live life on this earth with all the power of heaven in him. He laid that down. Do you know that? He surrendered that. And now he's going to show you and me how to live life in a victorious way. That's why over and over you see that Jesus does nothing but what the Father in him does. Jesus says nothing but what the Father in him says. He says, you watch me, you've watched the Father. You hear me, you've just heard the Father, for I and the Father are one. I say nothing but what comes down from me from the Father. Matter of fact, all my actions are the Father and I together as one, uniting it. John 17, when he finally prays his last prayer before he leaves, Father, that they may understand that you are in me as I will be in them, and that the two of us being one, they might be one with us in the same manner that I was one with you. Does it make sense? So then when people said, Jesus, just show us the Father. Enough is enough. And he said, oh, Philip, I've been with you this long and you do not understand. He that has seen me has now seen the Father because I do nothing independent of the Father through me. Now, likewise, you disciples will not be able to live life apart from me now being in you. The fulfillment of Ezekiel now is going to be true. And then he says something that is profound for you and me today. He says, I write these things to you, not only you that do believe right now, but those that will believe in the future. That's us. That's us. We can now have that union with Christ in such a manner that absolutely will reflect that life. First service, I read Ezekiel uh, 36, 24, and I read the verse that I read to you. A gal ran out and caught me when I was walking out in between the services, and she said, I was so taken by that Ezekiel verse. I was so taken. I wanted to jump up and just say, praise God, but I was afraid what people would think. And I said, next time do it, because I'll bet you they want to say it too. And we both agreed, I read that verse, she could have just gone home. She didn't need to hear the rest of it. Because she said, really, the light came on, and I basically saw before me the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, 24, is a new spirit has been put within me, and we are now one together. This is the purpose of this whole story on earth. All the things we do to get here, all the things we'll do to live out is so that you and I would comprehend what does it mean to have union with Christ. Let's go on. For we have become united, union with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this then, that our old self was crucified with him. One past tense. In, crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin now let's pause right here because I know a lot of you are asking a good question then why do I keep sinning 
on the way up to work or on the way up to church. My poor kids, what I said to them. My wife, what I just said to her. Why do I keep sinning if this is all true? Here's what we're going to go on to see is before you became a Christian, before you received the, the blessings of God's love on the cross and received him as your Savior, you were mastered by sin. That basically meant you could do nothing but sin. Oh, I did some good things. Good things isn't not sinning. The word sin means to act independent of the union with God. It doesn't matter. I'm up here preaching to you. If I'm up here preaching because I like it and I like you to like me, I am sinning to you. I am acting independent of God. Does that make sense? He is saying now that this has happened and you're inhabited by him, sin is dead once and for all as a master. You no longer have to sin. Do you get that? You can sin, but you don't have to anymore. It's not who you were designed. That's why when he goes on and says, may it never be. That's just crazy to say, why should I sin? If you know who you are and the know that the living God now inhabits these lives and the very presence of God in me, I wouldn't even think of asking that question because the life of Christ would not choose to do that. If you know who you are now, that is a crazy question to ask. Why would I do that? If I love my wife so much and I just say, oh, I just want to know what I can to bless her, I don't go do things purposely to hurt her so that then our marriage can struggle through it and become healthier on the outside. I don't do it. That's prosperous. Who would do that? That's what he's saying. You have been united, betrothed by a groom to a bride with Christ. The two become one. And so therefore, because of that, you will begin to act out. Now, if we have died with Christ, Believe this, that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never going to die again. Death no longer is master over him and no longer master over you. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So even so, you consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, this is interesting. You all, you all heard the phrase, if you read therefore, you need to know what the therefore is there for. Therefore, because of all that we've talked about before, all that Ben talked about last week and Nick before, all the way back through Romans, therefore, because of these truths, don't let sin reign. Don't let it have the mastery or the power in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Let's pause here. Your body is not evil. Your body is what is just a container that holds the real you. It's what allows me to walk and talk and raise my hands and do whatever. It doesn't have a mind of its own. I tell it what to do. It's a vehicle. It is not bad. Okay? It is not immoral. But it's an instrument that can carry and reflect whether I surrender myself to sin or surrender myself to righteousness. 2 Corinthians 
5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Therefore, my body, instrument is another, the word there in the Greek language, and I love this, is a weapon. Do you know that your bodies, you don't have to sit there and be frightened of them, they can actually become a weapon for righteousness? If I understand this and embrace this as the union of God, my body now becomes dangerous to the enemy. My body is now a weapon for righteousness. What if we all got a glimpse of this? And we were armed with the awareness of Christ as your life. And now my body would be a reflector of Christ. That's why he says, no longer written on tablets of stones, but on human hearts I will lay my life and my word. Therefore, people around you are going to be able to see the fruits of the Spirit splashing all over them, walking by just getting on them. You saw the power of God back in the Gospels when Paul and Jesus would walk by, and even when Paul walked by, his shadow would hit somebody and they'd get healed. Just by the shadow. Do you guys know you possess this? If you have, it says, if you have been baptized into Christ, that means you have received his gift of his life to pay for your sins that you could never pay for and have embraced that and received it. You now have all the power within you to have this portion of Scripture be yours alive as the gospel of good news to the believer. You and I don't need to try to live this Christian life on our own effort. It is absolutely futile. It will not work. I've tried it, and I try it all the time. And every time I try it, I throw up my hand and say, God, I cannot. But I will vacate, let you occupy, and as you occupy this body, you have full reign to do whatever you want, to love whoever you want to love. You and I are one, and therefore, I'm reflecting that which will be, Romans, we will talk about this in a little bit, will be reflected someday in the kingdom of heaven. The book of Revelation says the bride will marry the groom and the two literally become one. We are just reflecting that here on this planet. So that ends in verse 14. It says this, For sin shall no longer be master over you, no longer be ruler over you, if you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Would you pray with me? Father, this mystery is absolutely beyond our understanding. And unless, Holy Spirit, you take and lift a veil off our eyes and our understanding, this is just mumble-jumbo. They cannot hear it. We cannot understand it. But I'm going to ask you to remove the veil. In 2 Corinthians 3, you remove the veil so those people might be able to see and their eyes would jump open, just like this gal that said, wow, I never understood that union until right now. I am so looking forward to the rest of my life. I pray that we would be a people union with you, united with you, and reflecting your life. And Father, I thank you for the words and your touch that you did this in this song that is going to be saying right now as she begins to reflect to these people your life through her. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.